I went from jewelry to fan art to miniatures. Right. And then slowly I'm working on going into collectibles. <laughs> oh, that's, that's how it goes. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> You're listening to Art Heroes Podcast, the show to help you thrive as a digital artist. Tune in to learn how to transform your passion into a career. Get inspired by other kick-ass 2D and 3D artists and find out what it takes to be an art hero. Hello, hello, guys. This is Maria JD. I'm your host at Art Heroes Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in back again. And today I've got an exciting guest for you. It's Morgan Mori from Printed Obsession. Morgan is a 3D printing enthusiast and he's tried so many different things within 3D printing business that I actually am really excited about talking to him because I'm sure there are so many things where I can pick his brain. And uh, yes, so let's just welcome Morgan and uh, see what he's got to share. All right. All right, Morgan, we're now live. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Ta-da! You're right. How's it going? Yes, uh, going well. Okay, guys, so we've got uh, Morgan today from Printed Obsession. And uh, um, yeah, pretty much today's episode, we're going to be uh, talking about 3D printing and behind the scenes and what uh, Printed Obsession actually is. So, uh, Morgan, do you mind just like maybe introducing yourself and a little bit uh, and your project a little bit? Yeah, sure. Um, hi, um, Printed Obsession. And um, for the last... Oh God, I've lost count of how many years now, but um, I've been <clears throat> a kind of a, a, a advocate of, of 3D manufacturing for uh, quite a while now. Um, started initially in jewelry design um, and really kind of gravitated from, from that to doing like a bit of fan art as, as people started to buy, you know, their own home printers and then um, now, now with uh, the way things are going in the uh, 3D printed miniatures community, um, I'm doing a lot of that as well. So, kind of got kind of got fingers in in lots of different pies. That's true. That's true. Actually, I remember when I first uh, when I first met you, like virtually, you were really way more into jewelry um, than now. So, for the record, uh, I know Morgan from uh, uh, Art Hero Stylist Course. Um, and uh, and I'm going to make sure we put in the show notes a link to the pictures of the character that you made. Oh, yes, it's now printed. Oh, my God, yes. Thanks for showing this. It looks so amazing, guys. There is this color 3D printed um, miniature. How tall is she? Um, she's about um, 80, uh, 80 millimeters, 80 centimeters, 80 millimeters. 80 millimeters, yes, that's more. <laughs> that's closer to... <laughs> <laughs> okay yes exactly so all right like uh morgan do you mind just uh maybe sharing a little bit how you started your whole obsession about like 3d printing manufacturing and uh, where is this passion of yours uh like where does it come from yeah i mean i suppose um I, I, f I first kind of discovered 3D printing um, when I when I graduated university. I graduated right in the middle of the um, the financial downturn. So the kind of games companies that I 
Exactly, yeah, it was great. So all of the little games companies that I wanted to try and work for, all of the jobs that they were supposed to be giving out to like um, interns and all the rest of it were getting snapped up by people who, you know, have left smaller companies, have got three years experience, have got the games under their belts and all the rest of it. So there was almost nothing for graduates at the time. Um, so um, I actually went with my parents to a um, jewellery um, trade show, um, which was basically, uh, it was called, um, it's uh, called International Jewellery London. And you know, kind of went around there, not, you know, seeing a lot of shiny jewellery. You seriously need to wear shades if you ever have to go there. Um, and I eventually found, we found this uh, manufacturer who was um, doing 3D printing. And I was, I was fascinated by this, never come across the technology before. And um, after a kind of conversation with them and then coming back home, I actually found out that all of the 3D design work that I had done previously on my course, I could then apply to 3D, uh, 3D design for 3D printing. And yeah, I just know I didn't look back from there. Wow. <laughs> that was it. I was gone from that point. So what was the learning curve from just like hearing about the technology and actually uh, like making your first money with 3D printed jewelry? Who are your first uh, clients and how did this whole thing start? Because like that whole thing to me already seems like, um, you know. Yeah, I mean, I was quite lucky in that my parents were actually jewelers anyway. So the jewelry manufacturing side of things, I was able to very much draw on their knowledge. Amazing. And then from there, I was able to um, essentially kind of do the in-betweeny in bit where you've got the a 3D design and then translate that into something that could be printed and then something that could be cast and then yes. made into metal. So um, that took, I think it was about, I think my first successful piece probably took me about like a month and like two or three iterations, mostly because the um, I hadn't got my head around the idea of like thicknesses. Okay. Which is something that comes up a lot in, in 3D printing, or at least when, when you're a beginner and you're trying to get your head around it, it's the idea that, yeah, it actually needs to be quite, you know, it needs to be thick enough for it to, for the metal to travel through and all that kind of thing. Wow. Okay. And so what were your first jewelry pieces? What is, was it like rings or pendants or like, and what was the style? Like, do you think you even had one? Yeah, so I mean, my first, my very first successful piece um, was a, a a pendant that my uh, dad did half the work on. So um, it was a fairy, kind of like an Art Nouveau style fairy. Um, and I did like the fairy's body, and then him in with traditional methods made the wings with um, like a I think it's called a plique, transparent enamel. In it, and then she was, she was carrying, she was reaching out towards, uh, I think it was uh, an emerald. So it was wow. a very nice piece, you know, really, really fantastic piece uh, by the end of it. And yeah, I kind of um, came off from there. And then um, really from there, about a year later, um, I actually went to IJL to actually exhibit. Wow, um, that's a and, nice circular composition here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and from there, I uh, I kind of made lots of contacts within the jewelry trade because the jewelry trade, um, very traditionalist. They didn't know much about three D printing, 
or just 3D graphics in general. So I kind of I kind of helped um, drag a lot of companies into um, into the future in that I now quite a lot of the time people will send me designs that can't be done by hand and then I make them into into jewelry. Nice. And I send them something that can be physically produced. Nice. So um, like I actually um, I actually quite like this this insight i think uh, that's what many artists don't know where 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 else you can kind of you know apply your knowledge so um what do you what do you see as kind of you know the the, the major um the major point where you add value as an artist do you frequently do work for other jewelers do you like collaborate with the, uh, your family business or do you just create stuff and then sell it on the market um i mean marketplaces what pretty is it much like all, for jewelers for jewelry yeah i mean for the jewelry side of thing it's pretty much all three um oh. so <laughs> you know i will you know i take i take i take commissions for design work Mm -hmm. I have my own, my own pieces that I sell. Mm -hmm. um, and really it's, and, and I do, you know, my parents, my parents have a nice little stash of my, my designs that they, uh, they sell as well. Um, and occasionally I'll say, you know, if I've got a really interesting piece, I'll send it back to them for um, uh, manufacturing. But yeah, it was, uh, you know, really, um, a lot of it, a lot of my, uh, a lot of my interesting work actually does come from, um, the trade as in, um, other people's design work. Usually, usually very young designers who haven't quite, um, were, uh, who haven't quite got the skill set necessary to actually make their designs. You know, it's very, it's all, it's all well and good um drawing something but being able to translate a drawn design into something that's wearable and for and able to be produced is is a whole different skill set and that's kind of where if you're if you're good at um even character design work there's a quite a good market there because there's only like a handful of technical pieces of information that you need to know to be able to take a 2d design to a 3d design that can then be made right yes i see so where did you go for all these learnings because uh, it seems like you know there is from what you're saying and also just you know from imagining that there is still a gap that you need to bridge so um i mean like a trial lot of and it, error yeah a lot of it is trial and error i mean um there's um there is a caster um who go uh, his name's Apollonius Newton Boone but we call him Apple um from uh, a company called Heaton Studio and i mean this guy is you know he's a master caster um his casting house actually cast the Damien Hirst skull and um i've worked with him in the past on um normally when i've got a really complex piece of work I'll ask him for advice specifically on casting because um, once you kind of get a relationship with a casting ha uh, with a casting house, you can kind of learn what they need what they need specifically to make it metal. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Yeah, right. So, I see. Yeah. So normally, in nine times out of ten, if you if you have if you have a piece you have to make, try and find the guy who's actually going to do the work and have a conversation with them 
because on it's easy for you to make the amendments because you're only on computer, mm-hmm. whereas they actually have to work with the physical piece, you know. Yeah, I see. So help me understand this a little bit better. Um, like when you sell uh, the the pieces that you produce, so you like as an artist, um, like do you sell mostly physical pieces or an actual designs that can be then 3D printed when it comes to jewelry? Okay. So when it comes to jewelry, it's mostly the physical pieces. I mean, like, um, um, at the moment, um, uh, I'm kind of working with Shapeway a lot because they've Mm -hmm. basically automated pretty much the whole production cycle in that. You know, I've got an Etsy shop, people order on that, it automatically goes through to the Shapeway, Shapeway produce it and sends it straight out to them. Amazing. I to, yeah, cool. I have to do very little. All I have to do is just, you just have to upload it and set it up correctly, which can be a bit of a headache. But other than that, it's, um, it's almost, uh, the process is almost so automated that you can actually just leave it alone once it's set up. You just have to advertise it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, perfect. So it's like always printed on demand. And how do you deal with sizing? So when it comes to like rings, I actually have to upload every single ring size. Okay. So um, for instance, like, um, oh God, where is How it? many sizes are there in total? I mean, normally like in normal world. So, I mean, I sell, I, I sell in US sizes just because most of my clients come from America. Um, and I do US size five to like US size 13, but it's not, it's not five to 13. It's actually five, five and a quarter, five and a half, five and three quarters, six, Uh-oh. yada, 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 going all the way down to the, going all the way down to size 13. And then if you will then want to have different materials, you then have to have all of the sizes and all of the materials it's available in. So I think the last one of those I set up, there was 163 individual data entries on, you know, size this, cast this, link to this. Okay, I see. (laughs) Hard work, hard work. Yeah, a bit monotonous, but it is worth, it's worth doing because they, like I say, once it's set up once, that's all you have to do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's, uh, you know, the, yeah, of the good side. That's, that's kind of it. All right. Perfect. Um, so, and then, um, like how many designs would you, you know, like if somebody wants to set up something like this for their, for their, uh, stuff, how many designs would you recommend starting with? Because doesn't even, does it even make sense? starting a shop um, with one piece? Yeah, I mean, generally speaking, somewhere between five to maybe seven, or, Mm -hmm. you know, you can start with five and then have at least two ready to go that you can release a few months, you know, a month later, just so you can start that kind of, hey, we've got something new in store, come take a look. Yep, yep, yep. Um, the other thing to do is, um, depending on how you're doing it, if you're doing just rings or just, you know, just pendants and then have that, you know, three to five, but if you're doing like a collection where you've got, you know, a ring, a pendant, a bracelet, earrings, and the rest of it, then you need that one set ready to go. And then another set ready to bring out later. 
Right. Yeah, that sounds actually, that sounds like a solid plan. And so um, for you, you know, from the three lines of kind of a, you know, business, if you want, from what we've spoken, which one is your favorite and which one do you think is like kind of a more lucrative for artists? So is it like actually selling uh, by 3D printed jewelry on demand or taking commissions if we're like at least comparing these two if you can get the clients that are willing to pay good money um the uh the commission side of thing is pretty good if you don't want the hassle of actually having to manufacture and ship and deal with customers individually um because normally you're only dealing with just a just a one just the one client who just wants that design made and you make the design, you mm-hmm. ship it off, you get paid. That's it. Nice and easy. Granted, um, you don't have any creative control and a lot of clients are very picky. Mm-hmm. So, you know, um, weigh into that what you will. It's kind of it's kind of half a dozen of one and six of the other. It just yeah. depends on if you're if you're if you're happier selling your own product and you've kind of got the gift of sale, you know, the gift of gab to be able to sell it, then stick with the sales stuff. But um, if you're all right dealing with clients and you just want to just want to make something, ship it off and get paid, then go for the commission work. Yeah. And what about you? What would you like more? <laughs> um, or let's say, do you like clients? <laughs> I, <laughs> I have clients that I quite enjoy working with. And then I have clients that give me headaches. Okay. <laughs> okay. So unusual. <laughs> no, I'm not going to. Uh, I'm not going to name yeah. any names. No. Um, but yeah, there are. Uh, you, you basically you tend to get three clients. You get the ones that are very hands off, know you're good at what you do, and will just say, "Here's a rough idea. Go nuts. Have fun." They're the best clients. Second clients are the ones who are kind of new to this, and they will they will kind of think, well, maybe I need to try and, you know, stick my oar in and stir things around to try and keep you entertained or, you know, keep it fresh or show that I am actually involved in the design process. And I mean, they can be all right. Um, and then you get the ones that are like trying to micromanage everything. Okay. Um, and they're the ones that are quite difficult to work with, especially when Oh, how can I put this? Especially when they give you a diagram that's wrong. Oh, okay. The one thing you get quite a lot is someone will send you a technical diagram with sizes on, and there'll be something very basic like, you know, they've measured something out, individual layers for something, and then on the other side, they've given you an overall measurement and the two don't add up. Oh, okay. So I had to go, you know, that's kind of the very first thing you have to do is like, look at it and go, does this, you know, does the math actually add up? nine times out of ten it's it's usually all right but occasionally you just have to go to the client you know you know this is wrong right yeah this is wrong. oh okay and, and this is wrong please so, go back and get it right and then come back to me <laughs> so yeah of course like no i i get it of course like it's it's sometimes easier to get like uh, uh to get paid by one person as opposed to like uh, um you know here and there for like one small sale or another uh, mm. but yeah obviously it comes with downsides and actually uh i didn't ask but uh, um how much do you think uh, i don't know if you know how much do you make per like one sale like when you sell one ring um like you know what's the i mean so at the moment i'm selling um 
low low metal pieces so as in it's not it's not you know it's silver it's below silver in terms of okay. manufacturing um and i mean i make you know 20 to 30 pounds per design but okay. i'm selling quite a few of them because they're quite cheap if that makes sense yeah yeah, yeah no definitely um, of whereas i could also sell you know higher grade ones like silver and gold but you'll only ever sell ones and twos of those. So, you know, yep. it, it's, kind, yep. it's kind of, especially because the whole process is automated, I don't have to do much with it. And then if you get someone who comes along and goes, hey, can I have a, an 18 karat gold one? You can say, yes. Sure. i got to go get that sorted though. Because um, pricing those can be a little bit more tricky because, you know, a couple of grams either way in terms of weight can offset your, your, um, Cost of printing. Yeah. yeah. Your production costs quite a lot. Okay. So actually, since you're in the jewelry, uh, jewelry making family, um, like uh, I was always curious, what is the cost of producing a 3D printed design versus a cost of, you know, actual traditionally manufactured jewelry? Do you, do you think you can compare this? Um, so for, how can I put this? <clears throat> For simple stuff, um, it's much easier to go to a bench jeweler and get them to do it. And okay. when I say simple stuff, I mean like flat panel or so like, like like this simple stuff. Yes, basically <laughs> like that. That is, you know, that's drawn wire. Bend it around a bend. Bend it around a, a shank. Okay. Hammer it. You know, solder it. Hammer it. Polish it. Job done. Goes to someone. You know, I, ha I quite often I get people come through to me and I go. Yeah, you're going to save yourself money if you just go and take that to a, take that to a traditional bench jeweler, get them to do it. Um, but if it's something sculptural, you know, if it's if it's something like that. Oh, oh yes. You know. Okay, the camera then, is focused now. It's a pendant, right? Yeah, it's a pendant. It's beautiful. Yeah. It's a. It's like a skull with. Uh, yeah. Skull with tentacles. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's what I thought. Okay. <laughs> Cthulhu, Cthulhu rides. Yes. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, if it's something complex, then because you can, um, you know, to do this by hand, you'd actually have to hand carve a piece of wax. And obviously, you know, it takes ages. You've only yeah. got the one shot at casting it, and you can't make any changes to it easily. Whereas if it's in CAD, you can change it easily, you can size it easily, and you've got multiple attempts at the casting if you fail or cast. Yeah, yeah, so. I see, all right. Yeah, and obviously, like, probably precision as well. Yeah, uh, definitely. And all the details. Mm. And then, and then um, so casting is expensive, uh, but then all the production uh, process, is it, is it like the same? It just depends on the amount of metal? Yeah, it, it's... I mean, this is kind of one of those things where you need to actually go to the individual casting house. Okay. Some of them, some of them will be um, their initial setup cost plus the cost of metal. Some of them will be your setup cost is based on how many grams of metal you're actually using plus the cost of the metal to be used. Yeah. Um, Others, if they are printing it themselves, will actually just charge you the print cost 
and the casting cost and the metal cost they won't actually charge you for setting up the cast so to be honest this is one of those things where if you have a piece that you want made if you then go to the various you know various casting houses and say to them can you manufacture this how much is it going to cost they'll give you a price breakdown and then you can work out which one you want to go with all right okay okay so um like uh, and the casting houses are they all like local so or is there anyone international that kind of you know like a golden standard um i mean here in the uk i've got um a handful that i use so there's okay. there's western beemore there's heen studio just castings in london oh um okay. <clears throat> there's quite a few others as well um they're all they're all good at they're all good at different things so okay. some i will say you know some some i'll send off for some things some to other places and depends what i'm trying to make okay um i did briefly start using a casting house in i think it was spain okay. um but the problem was was actually getting it shipped back over to the uk was costing more than just having it made in the uk so all right and what's the average like cost of casting and actually do you need to cast every size as you mentioned like sizing for example for the rings um so the cost of casting again varies depending on the size okay. so if it's a larger piece you're going to be <clears throat> you could be paying like 10 pounds for casting setup okay plus the cost of metal yeah um others it can be like you know three to five pounds plus that okay okay, okay, okay. <clears throat> plus the cost of metal yeah um and the sizes yeah as for the sizes um you can get say like if it's a so if it's a ring yeah if you have a plain shank on the back as in not not ornamental not an ornamental shank just a plain shank yeah you can actually cast in one size then get send it off to like a bench jeweler they'll saw it and resize it so you can actually have um let me think i've done this before i think i i think i had like um a set of rings that were supposed to be for all sizes but we only had to only had to make like five sizes so we had like uh like a size m then we had like a size like Q and then something like an E, Q, R, S, T. So we had something like a T and then we had a Z and that would do most UK sizes because the jeweler, <clears throat> the jeweler in question could just saw it, size it and off it goes. Wow. Interesting. What an interesting hack that's like mm. uh, kind of a going. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Optimizing. I mean, it, yeah, if you're doing if you're doing lots, then obviously um, that's the way to do it. If you're only doing ones and twos, then just size, resize and reprint. Because what you can do is you can you <clears throat> you can print in a direct cast material. Yeah. Where you essentially it goes straight on the sprue, it's burnt out and cast, and it's the right size, rather than getting it printed in plastic, getting mm -hmm. a cold mold made and then have a wax injection uh getting it wax injected where you can do multiples right yes yeah 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 
Basically, it, dep it depends entirely on if you're trying to just do ones or if you're doing lots. Um, yeah, I see. So, uh, but I guess you're doing lots. Yeah, mostly. I mean, generally speaking, I'm doing lots. But um, at the moment, with uh, with the Shapeway stuff, um, because that's print on demand and that's direct metal printing, it's um, it's literally just printed to size and and shipped straight out. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, no, of course. Very interesting. So, uh, Morgan, um, let's uh, uh, take a uh, take a step aside a little bit from jewelry. Although this is, to be honest, super super exciting. Uh, <coughs> like, really got stuck there. I really wanted to also ask you uh, about your like. I don't know if it's like really recent, but uh, um, you know the experimentation with. Uh, um, collectibles and miniatures and uh, uh, how do you feel about that and what's the major difference you know with the jewelry well of course they cost in I guess right but <laughs> besides that um, in terms of uh, kind of uh, uh, pushing it as an opportunity and uh, uh, making a living with this and uh, just like community of people that um, you know that are interested yeah. in this what so yeah, it's um, it's an interesting market at the moment. Um, how can I put this? Uh, the miniatures market side of things at the moment is is big and getting bigger, um, especially as now a lot of people have got three um, D printers themselves. They're printing, you know, their D and D characters. They're printing their own, you know, characters. Yes. All, you know, they're printing like fan art stuff and all the rest of it. Um, so there's still good market out there. The only thing is, though, there are a lot of ZBrush artists and, and designers out there doing this. So there is a, there is a lot of competition at the moment. Um, so, I mean, if you're going to try and get into it uh, now, do it sooner rather than later and try and be different. Because if you're... If you're relying on just like the basic stuff, you're you're gonna you're gonna have a hard time standing out. Is my advice. Okay. So, what is the way to stand out, and how are you doing this? I mean, in my case, I've kind of already I kind of already had a um, an audience um, from my fan art stuff. So I basically, uh, what's the term? Is it funneled? I basically funneled all the people who like my fan art stuff to my Patreon stuff and okay. my miniature stuff. Um, and I mean, um, a lot of, I, I mean, some of, some of what I, I get quite good kudos for is that I, I tend to do, I do a lot of female characters, but I do female characters in proper armor and stuff like that. Okay. Rather than, rather than just bikini armor. Yes, which a lot of right. other people do. So, yeah, yeah so, I see. So you had your fan art pages be from before. Yes. So basically what happened was I kind of went, I went from jewelry to fan art to miniatures. Right. And then slowly I'm working on going into collectibles. <laughs> oh, that's, that's how it goes. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> no, I see. Yeah. Oh. It's, um, it's, it's kind of, um, it's kind of like at the moment I'm trying to, I'm trying to get into the people who don't necessarily have 3d printers, but want to get access to that kind of artwork. So it's it's finding manufacturers who will print these pieces and ship them out to people because that's a much larger market. Um, 
I mean, the hobbyist 3D printing market is great, um, but it's not the biggest. The biggest market out there will be people who don't have 3D printers who just want the miniatures. Right. Okay. So, in the, and uh, in your community of, uh, um, let's say, of the 3D printing uh, fans, um, do you see that, uh, so the majority would own 3D printers to be able to print uh, your designs? Yeah, most the people... would want the designs actually already printed. How is it like, what is the split now? I mean, it's early days yet in terms of people who okay. just want the designs, if that makes sense. Yes. Um, at least in my case, because I've come, I've kind of come through the 3D printing community to now kind of break out into the collectibles community. So it's, it's early, for me, it's early days yet. Most of my, most of my fans are people who've got their own 3D printers and are printing their own stuff. Right, I see. And so, but you also print your own stuff. I know you've got a, a 3D printer or, or even a few at home. Yeah, a lot. I'm just looking over my looking the over collection my... of 3D printers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, yeah, I've had I've had quite a few over the years. Um, <clears throat> Which one's your favorite? Oh, um, I've got to be honest here. I think I think my favorite is actually is the old uh, CR10 um 3d printer um if only because i was able to i i got such a kick out of printing the much larger miniature uh, much larger models the fan art models that i've made um and much larger of my own pieces i mean they are oh, here we go you know they're kind of crude oh in God, comparison to the coming oh yeah. wow that's a pretty impressive like yeah and again, like, what's what's the size? Can you compare it with your hand? Oh, that's that's a thirty oh. centimeter ruler. So All I right. mean, she's about she's about twenty. I don't. Uh, she's about twenty two centimeters tall. Yeah. Wow. You know, right. It's a lovely piece. It is pretty lovely. Yes, indeed. So do you print, like, uh, for you, what's the whole scene about having a 3D printer? It's just about, like, testing your models or, you know? Partly, but it's, it's, also, it's, also, it's also about just actually, I, how can I put this? I sculpt for myself. Yeah. You know, I sculpt for my own enjoyment. And if other people like my work at the same time, so much the better. Um, that's kind of quite a good design philosophy to have. If you if you sculpt for yourself rather than thinking, oh, what's going to be popular, what's going to be good, eventually, if you if you sculpt enough and kind of make enough of a racket, people will find you eventually. You might need to do a little fan art to kind of get those likes and clicks and people coming through, but eventually, your own stuff will take off. Right. I love this philosophy. Huh? Definitely. Definitely. So. Um you make your stuff available for like for purchase as well. Yeah. Okay. So, um, the, a lot of my, a lot of my, um, my STLs as in the digital stuff is available on a website called my mini factory. Okay. Who specifically sell digital models for 3d printing. Yeah. And, um, you know, that's where a lot of people who, haven't who aren't buying from my patreon will buy my models because they can just go right i want like that one and that one and that one rather right. than going i'm going to get all of these for that month 
Yeah, I see that. All right. So basically your community, you know, coming back to your communities and my mini factory factory uh, on Patreon. Um, some people are on Instagram, I'm sure. Yep. Somewhere else. <laughs> I'm uh, sure I'm missing, I mean, like, I've got a little, you know, I've got a small, I've got a small community group on Facebook and um, most of it, most of it's kind of um, a reputation I've built up from the fan art stuff, if that makes sense. Because, yeah. Um, what I, one thing I found, at least for people who are starting out, is that some people will be a little cagey um, buying from someone who's just starting out because you don't, you're not sure if they know enough about 3D printing to get, stu- you know, to get stuff right. So one thing I will say is if you're starting out, try to make sure that you are showing the models printed, not just renders, because if you show it printed, then someone buying will know it can be printed. Right. That's a good tip. Huh? So, yeah. and then uh, what, um, what is your typical advice about actually building the community around yourself as an artist? So since you have this many platforms, do you think that's an ideal case scenario for you uh, and just growing all these platforms? Or you would normally recommend sticking to one and actually putting all the effort there? Uh, what's your take? Um, my take is um, have multiple because, you know, if you put multiple nets into the water, you're going to catch more fish. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Even, if they, even if they're smaller nets. I mean, it, it, can, be, it can be a little, uh, how can I put this, um, a little frustrating having to go from community to community to community or uh, at least having to go from, you know, Facebook to Instagram to yeah. mini factory to Patreon and all the rest yeah. of it. But I mean, you know, if you set aside a little bit of time, a little bit of time every day to just go through, answer your messages. And um, the other thing, the other thing I do quite, I find quite useful is to have, if you've got a discord server, you can actually live chat with a lot of your, you know, with a few people who are your fans and you can kind of find out those who actually really like what you're doing and, you can you can lit you know you can get a little advice because the really good ones will go I really like this thing you do and you can kind of think to yourself okay well, maybe I'll do okay. more of that right yeah yeah I love that I love that so like do you frequently actually ask your fans about their preferences yeah I mean um, so my last run on Patreon um, I. Um, let me think. I had a just a thread up of saying, right, what do you want for themes for next month? And I had a big long list of people going, you know, can you do this? Can you do this? Can you do this? And I just kind of picked like the three that I found the most interesting. And now those are up for people to vote on. Nice. And that one theme will then be what I sculpt next month. So it's kind of it's community driven, or at least mm-hmm. what I do is community driven in terms of they decide what the next um what the next model set is right and so uh this time around let's say like kind of a, you know like this season of uh um you know of your artistic life uh, do you do only miniatures like kind of a tracking breaking through into collectibles or you still do some of the jewelry stuff so um i kind of <laughs> With um, with things being the way they are at the moment, I, I kind of just pick something to do each day, if that makes sense. Okay, love that. So, you know, 
I do, you know, if I've got a bit of professional work on the go, I do a bit of professional work and then I'll go off and do, do something else. I'll do a sculpture, I'll do a jewellery piece. So it's kind of whatever takes my fancy. And I, if you can get away with it, that's a good way to do it. Because um, one thing I found, at least personally, is if you try to start and finish a piece in one hit, it'll often be inferior to if you do it, or do a bit of it and go away again and go do something else and then come back to it. You'll find that you go, Oh, actually I want to change this. And, yep. You know, yep. Yep. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. Well, from what I see, you're never bored. That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Always entertained. Always entertained. Oh my God. Yeah. Okay. Morgan, um, we've got a little tradition here on the podcast. Uh, I've got 10 questions. Um, like I showed 10, like actually we might, you know, I know what is 10. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Let me just check. Hold on. Have I got all 10 <laughs> fingers? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, my kids count like this, like one, two. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. I okay. still, <laughs> I, I still do that occasionally. <laughs> it's like, okay i've got 10 questions and you're supposed to answer with like just a few words um you know like let's keep it short and so yeah um don't take them seriously all right um (laughs) okay so uh whenever you are ready all right all right let's go so uh what's your number one tip for combating distractions when you're working from home um time management is probably the main one um say to yourself right i'm going to work from now until you know from now until for an hour non-stop you know i'm not going to look at my other messages and i'm going to have my phone out of the way or the rest of it do that and then actually stop do whatever else you want to do go get a cup of tea or the rest of it reseat yourself and then go, right, I'm now going to do two hours and go do that and then stop for 20 minutes or the rest or whatever. You know, have, have time where you want to stop. Have time where you're going to go, right, I'm going to go for a walk. I'm going to go have lunch. Right. Do it, you know. So force yourself to stop as well. Yes. That's really important, I tend to find. Right. Okay. So what's your favorite holiday or tradition? Oh, my favorite holiday. Um, I think <laughs> it has to be Christmas, if only because um, I get to go back home to the family and spend my time there. And we're all weird. And, you know, we, ca- we have a massive catch up. So that's always nice. Amazing. Well, you made me think a lot of Christmas and look forward to it as well. <laughs> uh, what's your favorite way to get in some exercise? Um, well, at the moment, it's, uh, it's go for walks. Um, before, <laughs> Sorry, yes. <laughs> but um, previ- <laughs> pre- previously, it was, um, I used to do karate and I used to go to the gym. So. Okay, well, good old days. Mm. Um, what's your most used emoji? Oh, uh, the one with the shades. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the cool shades. Of course, the jewellery people. <laughs> Cool yes. <laughs> um, what's the worst haircut you've ever had? I think I've had this same haircut for the last 20 years. All right, fine. 
I'm going to leave it to you to judge it. <laughs> um, what's the best advice you've ever been given? Oh, in fact, actually, it is the one that I spouted at you, the idea of um, sculpting for yourself. And I actually got given that um, by a friend of the family who happens to be a, a milliner. We, um, and I think he actually, I think, it, I think originally it's from, I think someone like Gucci or Versace mm -hmm. is the original phrase. It's I designed for myself and if other people like it, that's good. Wow. Or something along those lines. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. That's, that's the design philosophy. Love that. Mm. So if you are to design your own t-shirt, what would it say? <laughs> <laughs> Leave me alone until the coffee is set in. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's a good one. <laughs> Gonna make it done for you, huh? Yeah. Um, so if you could see one movie again for the first time, um, which movie would you watch again? Oh, God. Uh... Um, I think it was probably the first movie I actually went to see like twice in a two or three times in a row, and that was District Nine. Okay, I loved that film when it came out. My God, that was fantastic! Just the okay, the, the you know the mixed visual, the mixed visuals. The I mean, I guess slightly depressing story, but you know, it wasn't like any other alien film I'd seen before. It was so different. Certainly okay. the tone of it, I loved it. Just edited it to my list. I don't know why I haven't seen it. Like, oh my god, you got to see <laughs> yes, it! I oh know. my god, you must. That's actually a question for me. <laughs> oh, it's such a good film. <laughs> okay, amazing. Got it. So, if you could have, if you could choose um, any one or two famous people to have uh, for dinner, uh, to have dinner with, who would you hang out with? Oh God. Um... Uh, Frank Frazetta, definitely, okay. um, just because I love his work. And oh, God, who else? You'll probably make him feel uncomfortable when you're like, you know, like, oh, I love your work so much. And <laughs> you <he'll> just... <laughs> teach me how. <laughs> and he'll just like stuck there at dinner uh, with you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and let me think, who would be the other one? Um, oh, Alexander McQueen. Amazing. Good yeah. choice. What a good yeah. company. Mm. Nice. All right. <laughs> like, I wish I could say that. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> and actually, my final question is, what's your absolute dream job? Pretty much this now. <laughs> Man, I should change this question. <laughs> being, at home, it's being at home, working on whatever takes my fancy, that is the dream job. And getting paid, you know, getting paid for doing whatever I feel like. That's the dream. Wow. Okay. Well, you know, like, as, uh, like I was just saying that I should definitely change this question because so far um, that's, <laughs> that's the most common answer I'm hearing from the artists, <laughs> which is, yeah. Yeah, you love. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like you know the rest. Of, the rest of the world is like, oh god, it's a crisis. Exactly. Oh, no. yeah, yeah. And the artists are like, this is normal. You know, yeah. this is, you know, before coronavirus, I'm sat here at my computer. During coronavirus, I'm sat here at my computer. <laughs> After it, 
Probably I'll be sitting here in front of my computer. <laughs> exactly. This is so relatable. This is so relatable. Well, anyways, Martin, thank you so much for uh, coming on the show. Really appreciate you being here. And yeah, you know, thank I think you very it much was for having me. yes, super actionable, and you know, like a lot of a lot of great tips. Uh, you know, like thanks for answering my uh, stupid questions as well. That was really nice. <laughs> they were good. They were good questions. I mean, I had to one or two of them. I actually had to think about for a few minutes. I was like, uh, fine. "That's yes. fine. That's fine. You did your like a uh, you know um, brain exercise for today. That's what I know for sure as well." <laughs> <laughs> All <Absolutely>. right. <laughs> Cheers, Morgan. Thanks very much. Have a good one. Bye bye. Thank you guys again for listening. Really, really appreciate that you chose to spend this 45 minutes with us. And if you're curious to know more about Morgan from Printed Obsession, I'm dropping a link here in the show notes and in the YouTube video description, depends on where you're listening to this podcast. And you can find out more about the printed models and actually download some of those because there is a whole bunch of them for free. Also, as a reminder, this week our 3D printing course is again available for enrollments and uh, there is a special discount for all the podcast listeners with a coupon code PODCAST20 that gives you a 20% off to our 3D printing course for artists. Thank you guys again for listening and see you next week. Thanks for listening to Art Heroes Podcast. Check out www.artheroes.co for show notes, more interviews, and free tools made for you by our team of mentors. Tune in next week for more inspiration and keep up the great work, hero. Mm.